0: Thank you, Fraser. Our reading this morning is from the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16. This is our second last week in Malachi, our second last week in the Minor Prophets, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16. Malachi 3.16 is page 962 in your Pew Bibles. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in, the present, in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace, all the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked. they will be ashes under the sole of your feet on that day when I do these things says the Lord Almighty. Amen. Let's bow our heads and humble our hearts together as we pray. Father, we thank you for your words to your people in this place on this day. And we ask that in the, the weakness of my words, the strength of your voice would be heard. We ask that you would challenge and change, that you would enthuse and encourage, that you would shape and fashion us more into the image and likeness of the Lord whom we love, the Lord who first loved us and gave himself for us. We ask these things for the cause of Christ's kingdom for the glory of your name and for the joy of your people. Amen. Well, we've been for quite some time now on a journey through a selection of the minor prophets. As I said a moment ago, this is our second last week in Malachi and our second last week in that journey through those prophets. They are small in size only, not small in stature, not small in significance. Minor only in size, we have so much that we can take, so much that we can learn, so much that we can be reminded of as we turn to these prophetic writings. So we've journeyed our way through Jonah, that is the minor prophet that most of us are fairly familiar with. And then we came to Obadiah, and we were reminded of some of the reasons that we sometimes struggle with the minor prophets. So we had to to remind ourselves of some of the history into which Obadiah spoke, because the letter would make little sense to us unless we understood the context. So we had to do a wee bit of work. And none of us like doing work, do we? We had to do a bit of work to remind ourselves of what Obadiah was seeing as he was speaking. His prophetic message from the Lord. And the second thing that we found challenging in Obadiah was the way in which God spoke to his people through his servants. If the picture we have of God is less than the picture that scripture presents to us of God, we will struggle when we come to the prophetic writings. So if we have a picture of God as a grandfatherly figure in the sky, all embracing, all affirming, and then we come to Obadiah, we are going to struggle. So that's not the picture of God that Obadiah paints for us. We have Obadiah, we have the Lord speaking in Obadiah uh, in the, the the most ferocious of terms, he speaks about the Edomites, I will bring them down. But we would remember, didn't we, that the reason that God was so angry with the Edomites, the reason that God spoke in that way was because of the love that he has for his people. So the Edomites we are celebrating, they were rejoicing in the downfall of Jerusalem. They were encouraging and assisting the Babylonians as they came against the people of God. And the Lord was angry that they rejoiced in the day of Israel's downfall. Remember, the Edomites are related to the Israelites, and He rebukes them for the way in which they have treated their brothers as God's people are enslaved and. Deported as servants and slaves to Babylon. Then we came to Haggai. Quite a number of years have have passed by this point in time. The Babylonians themselves have been conquered. Every empire ends and every kingdom crumbles except the kingdom of Christ Jesus. And Babylon, as strong and as invincible as it had once looked, fell to the Medes and to the Persians... And the Lord works in the heart of the king of Persia, Cyrus, and he allows God's people to go if they want, to go from Babylon back to Judah, to go from Babylon back to Jerusalem. Some of God's people don't want to go. They've put down roots in Babylon. It's it's an important and significant place. They're quite happy to stay where they are but 50,000 of God's people hear and heed the call of God to return and to rebuild. And so, they journey off to Jerusalem. It's a long and a difficult and a dangerous journey. They get to Jerusalem. They're not welcomed by those who have made their homes in that city. But it all seems very encouraging at the start. They, They find the city. They begin to rebuild the the second temple, the foundations are laid, and then we have this scene where the older people who remember the first temple, Solomon's temple, and all of its glory, they weep in sadness because this temple looks so small in, in comparison, so they get discouraged. And then as other people begin to attack and to undermine the work of God... The younger people get discouraged as well. And so the work in the temple isn't finished. For 16 years, God's people make excuses. We will, we will rebuild the temple, but the time isn't right. For now, we'll just keep rebuilding our houses. I've got a nice extension I want to put on the back of the house. But we'll get around to building the temple at some point in the future. 16 years pass, and God sends Haggai. To encourage to exhort God's people to consider their ways to reassess their priorities and to rebuild the temple of their God and this rebuke this exhortation was accompanied with this wonderful promise that the glory of the new house would surpass the glory of the old house that God's presence would be with his people as they built this new house for him. It all seemed so positive, it all seemed so encouraging. And then we came to Malachi. Oh dear. So God's people have all that they have been praying for, all that they have been longing for, all that they have been working towards for such a long time. They're in Jerusalem, the wall is rebuilt, the temple is rebuilt, everything is in place. Except their lives, their lives with the Lord are are wrong, and flowing from that problem that they have in their relationship with God, everything else has gone wrong as well. We actually only get to verse 2 before we see the root of the problem, don't we? Verse 2 of Malachi chapter 1 says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask How have you loved us? That's the root cause of all of the problems that we read about in the rest of Malachi. They have forgotten the love of the Lord. The love of the Lord, or the evidence of the love of the Lord is all around them. The temple's there, the wall's there. They're they're relatively safe and secure. The people of God and the city of God with the house of God. The evidence of the Lord's love is all around them. He has chosen them. He has delivered them. He has restored them to the city of God. And yet they say, how have you loved us? And flowing from that denial of the love of the Lord, they point an accusing finger in the face of God. How have you loved us? The Lord favors the wicked. What do we gain from serving you? Where is the God of justice? Remember this people crying out to God for justice to be done? This people telling God how wronged they have been is a people who are divorcing the wives of their youth uh, casting them aside in order to take to themselves wives who worship false gods. They are opening the door to paganism in the city of God. They are offering defiled sacrifices. Remember we said it's like the stuff we put in the charity bag not because we care about that charity, but because we just want rid of it. It's worth nothing. Who's gonna take it? We'll just chuck it in that wee white bag and throw it out and that's problem solved. That's the kind of offerings that they were bringing to the temple of God. They were bringing the rubbish that no one would have wanted and giving that to God. And then last week we saw Not what they were giving to God, but what they were withholding from God. They were refusing to give to God that which was rightfully His their money and themselves, their service. And they cry for justice. Justice is the last thing that these people should be asking for. They should be asking for mercy. And God responds to their cry for justice with these words, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. So last week we looked at John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus to come. We looked at the coming, the first coming of Jesus. And this week I want to look at these verses again briefly before we move on and try and answer the question that, that Malachi poses to us. Verse 2 Who can endure the day of his coming? So the Lord will come to his temple, but who can endure the day of his coming? Here is what John says of the day that Jesus came to cleanse the temple. John says, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you see the irony? Jesus comes to his temple and it's the blind who can see and it's the lame who can stand. Those who use the temple to make money for themselves or to make a name for themselves. The money changers made their money. The scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they used the temple to make a name for themselves. They can't stand. But those humble enough to see their needs Jesus receives. They endure the day of Jesus' coming. The men of Malachi's they, by and large, were much more like the chief priests and teachers of the law, were they not? They were proud and they were self-righteous. And yet the fire that the Lord speaks of in Malachi chapter 3 is refining fire. It's not fire which destroys, it's fire which purifies. And the offer that God gives to His people is one of restoration. Chapter 3, verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Malachi does not make for easy reading, but there is good news on every page if only we have eyes to see it. The patience of God. Remember, Malachi is just a series of disputes between God and His people. The patience of God that he would be willing to enter into these disputes. The the patience of God that he would be willing to have these debates without just saying, I've had enough, without treating them in the way that they were treating each other, without treating them in the way that these men were treating their wives, the wives of their youth, without just sweeping them aside and taking to himself A new group of people. The patience of God, the mercy of God. I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you are not consumed. They were not not consumed because of their goodness. They were not consumed because of God's unchanging nature. The mercy of God. and the grace of God return to me and I will return to you. Then we come to chapter 4. And the Lord's messenger speaks of another day which will come. Surely the day is coming, verse 1 of chapter 4, it will burn like a furnace. This is a different day and a different fire. No longer a day of grace and no longer fire that refines. This fire consumes. Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. Not a root, nor a branch. When a forest fire uh, sweeps through the forest, normally, although it looks like a scene of utter and absolute devastation, normally there are some roots or some branches or some trees which manage to survive. And so from this scene of utter devastation, apparently, new life will in time begin to flourish. But the Lord says here, not a root or a branch will be left. So this fire will leave no hope for new life to come. There is good news though, not everyone will experience this fire. Malachi tells us that some will be spared. I remember being, uh, Remembrance Sunday, there are a number of of things I always think about on this day, and one of them is a man I used to know from the church I was brought up in, uh, who had served in the war, World War II, and he was captured by, he was actually captured by the Germans, his boat was was sunk, but they passed him over to the Japanese, and he was held in a Japanese prisoner of war camp uh, for quite a number of years until the end of the war, and he told us loads and loads of amazing stories about his time in that camp. One of the stories he, he told us was that sometimes they would get all of the prisoners of war out, they would make them stand in a line, and they would pick a man at random, bring him out, and kill him. And the only reason they would do this would be to keep them all living in fear. And that story, as a young boy, when I heard it, it's it's stuck in my mind, the horror of that, what that must have been like. Well, this isn't random, this fire that Malachi speaks of. We can live without fear of facing this fire. We can know that we will be spared these flames. There are at the end of chapter 3 and in chapter 4, a remnant of people who honored the Lord, a faithful few who stayed true to Him. They are in the minority, but they know that they are not alone. They talk to one another and the Lord hears and their names are written on a scroll of remembrance. On this Remembrance Sunday, we see lists of names, don't we, on on cenotaphs and the like. We have our own list. Uh, At the front of the church, we see a list of names to be remembered. Those who have given their lives for their country. to be in the Lord's list of names. How do we get our name on that scroll or in that book? Isn't it good to know that there is a scroll, that the faithful few are known by name, that the Lord is able to see those few righteous trees in the midst of a forest of unrighteousness, We've seen over these past number of weeks how far the people in general have drifted from God Himself, but the Lord is able to see those few people who have stayed true, who have stayed faithful. He knows the righteous. He knows them by name, and they will be His treasured possession. Malachi chapter 3, verse 16, then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, so we are never alone. The Lord has given us brothers and sisters. When everything seems against us, when we we are very mindful of our status as aliens and strangers, we ought never to fall into the trap of thinking that we are alone. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, And the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. When this day of consuming fire comes, they will be spared, more than spared, more than spared. Chapter 4, verse 2, For you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from a stall. The same sun which will burn to destroy the wicked will bring life and health and joy to the righteous. It's a lovely image, isn't it? I'm not a farmer, Do you know? I've never seen calves sleeping with joy as they are released from the pen, but even for me, that's a lovely image. I translated it slightly in my own head. This one might not work for you either, but um, in the Murphy house, we've been trying to not watch too much TV, so we've, we've got a wee table in the kitchen, we've tried to eat our meals at the table in the kitchen where we don't have a TV, and it's worked by and large. We've not been watching very much television recently, which is a, a good thing, but when we do watch the TV, usually it's for Grace, and she doesn't like CBBS anymore. I don't know what she watches, Nick, Nick Jr. or something, but the problem with this channel is there are adverts. And it's running up to Christmas time. So, every single advert, Grace will say, I want that. And I'll say, Can't have everything, Grace. I want that. Can't have everything, Grace. I want that. Grace, you can't can't have everything. And so it goes on for the three and a half minutes we have of of adverts. I've timed it. Three and a half minutes of adverts. I want that. You can't have everything. Well, imagine one day... I went to the biggest Toys R Us in the world and I just bought the whole shop and then I brought Grace along with me and opened the doors and I said, Grace, Daddy's bought the whole thing, run in, have fun, whatever you want, you can have. Imagine what she would be like running into that whole new exciting world, where will I go? What will I have? Imagine the joy on her wee face. That, I think, is the kind of picture that we are encouraged to see here as these calves are released from their pain, as they leap for joy, as they look at this new world that has been opened up to them, that they are free to go and to roam and to explore and to enjoy. Where will I go first? This bit of grass, that bit of grass. That's what it will be like for us in Christ on that day. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Remember, that symbolizes chaos and all that's against God. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed. Away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. How do we get our name on that list in that book? Is it through goodness, morality, religious duties? No. We will never be good enough to clamber up to God. We are much more like the Israelites of Malachi's day than we would care to admit, aren't we? We look at others maybe and we think, well, I'm doing okay, I'm not too bad. We look at God as He has revealed to us in Scripture in all of His holiness, His perfections, His purity. And then we look to ourselves and it's a different story. Calvin said, we only truly see ourselves having seen our God. Once we see Him, then we truly see ourselves. We will never be good enough to clamber up to the God who dwells in the high and holy place on a ladder of good works or religious duties or church attendance. Never. How do we get our name on that list. That's essentially what the crowd asked Jesus in John chapter 6. They asked Him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, here it is, the work of God is this, to believe in the one He has sent, to believe in the one He has sent. We can never clamber up to God, He is too high too holy, but He has come down to us in love, in Christ. He has lived for us. He has died for us. He has been raised from death for us. And all who turn to Him and trust in Him and follow after Him are freely and fully and forever forgiven. We remember On this day, those who have given their lives for their country and the freedoms which allow us to meet and to worship in this place this morning, but above all, I hope we remember Jesus, who gave his life to gift to all those humble enough to receive it the gift of complete freedom freedom to know God as our Father, freedom to live for Him, freedom to worship Him, freedom to address Him with Christ Jesus Himself as Abba Father. We remember the sacrifice that He made for our sins. Much of Malachi is taken up with the insufficiency of the offerings that the people were giving to God. They were given these rubbish animals, old and and deformed and Uh, their sacrifices fell so far short of the ones that the Lord demanded. But even had they brought their very best animals, they could never really secure forgiveness of sins, could they? The truth is, had they brought their best animals to the temple, as Hebrews says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Those, Those animals could never have taken away sins they only ever really did two things. Firstly, they reminded the people of the seriousness of their sin. as They saw these animals sacrificed, slaughtered, as they saw the blood flow. It was a reminder to them of what they deserved for the sins that they had committed, the seriousness of sin. And secondly, they pointed forward to the perfect sacrifice that was to come, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ the one of whom John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If we come to Him like the blind and the lame, knowing our needs and knowing that He is able and willing and wanting to meet that need, knowing that He is mighty to save, knowing that His life and His death and His resurrection is enough, more than enough, no matter who we are or where we've been or what we've done, more than enough to see us cleansed and forgiven and adopted and welcomed and treasured, as the Lord says in Malachi, treasured by God as we trust in Him. Then our name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. We will become that treasured possession of God, his adopted children, and that day which is coming will be to us a day of great joy. God is the God of mercy. I hope we have seen that in Malachi. We should have, but he is also just and true. He is morally perfect, and nothing will compromise his perfect he will judge like any just judge according to the truth. Not what we would like to be true, not what we would wish to be true, not what we claim is true. He will judge according to what is true. And the truth is that we have all sinned, we have all fallen short, we have all rebelled against good and against God, and we have a choice to either trust in our own track records ought to trust in Jesus. It's that simple. The day is coming. There's an American uh, author called William Soroyan and uh, in one of his books, he wrote this line. He said, everyone has got to die, but I have always believed that an exception would be made in my case. Now what? And I can understand that, because I've known what it is to have days in my life that I've always kind of thought would be out there somewhere. And then those days that I always thought were out there somewhere came here suddenly, they arrived. And I felt somewhat surprised. The day of our wedding was like that for me. Uh, I remember we, we had that day in the the diary for two years, so I, I knew when it was, I was without excuse, even I could remember that, I knew it was coming, and I, I remember the morning getting all changed into my kilt and all that kind of stuff, I remember getting into the car, driving down, it was only when we turned off Paisley Road West onto uh, Moss Park Drive, I realised that this, this is actually my wedding that I'm going to, this is, this is really happening, this is today. This day that I always sort of knew, I, I mean, I believed it was going to happen, I knew it was going to happen, but it just always seemed as though it would be out there somewhere in the dim and distant future, but it, it had actually arrived. Unfortunately, fortunately, thanks to my wife, who was then my wife-to-be, obviously, and my mother-in-law, I was ready for that day. I had my kilt and, well, that's, that's all I really needed as the, as the groom, I had my kilt and I was ready for the, the wedding. But we must be careful not to be like that when it comes to this day. Don't allow yourself to feel that way about the day of the Lord. Too many Christians believe that that day will come, but they live like it It will always be out there somewhere in the dim and distant future. It doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel relevant to life today. We don't deny it. We tick the wee doctrinal box. But we don't live Like that day is actually coming. Like that day may be today. It may be tomorrow. Don't allow yourselves to feel that way about the day of the Lord. It is coming, we are told. I don't know how close it is, but it is coming. It may be very close indeed. Are you ready for that day to come? Turn to Jesus, trust in Jesus, like a little child. That was the third group that I didn't really mention when Jesus came to the temple, wasn't it? The blind and the lame came to Him at the temple and He healed them. But when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things He did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. May we be like those little children. Because the work God requires is simply to trust in Jesus and to joyfully honor and serve him the lamb who was slain for the forgiveness of our sins may we live in the light of his love his mercy and that day which is coming let's bow our heads together as we pray